Hey, fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well. Today I have an exciting guest in Will Hamilton. You might have seen him on my channel. Uh, he's doing uh, these excellent products to improve your tennis. He's also kind of an OG of YouTube when it comes to tennis because he's been on the YouTube, uh, which is the way we call it, uh, for a long time. So I was uh, really keen to talk to him about his products and how about his journey in tennis. And we also have a connection. He's from D.C. I lived in D.C. 20 years ago working as a journalist. So uh, welcome to the Tennis Nerd Podcast. Uh, Jonas, thanks for having me, man. Um, the other connection you might not uh, know, you're you're Swedish, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Originally? Yeah. yeah, my mom's Swedish. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, yeah. I did not see so, that coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, like, for, like she went to the University of uh, of Lund, is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously fluent in Swedish and, and Danish. Uh, my grandparents moved here when she was one years old, one year old, and then she would go back and forth. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. How's your Swedish? Uh, it's awful. Uh, Yagar William. Uh, <laughs> not, not bad. Not bad. And I can say skull, obviously. That's the most important part. Yeah. Especially and, if you're Swedish. Folks, yeah. For the folks who don't know what skull means, it just means cheers. Yeah. It's a good word to know. Yeah. And it's uh, that's Sometimes why you have yellow and blue in your uh, fuzzy yellow balls colors, right? Exactly. I didn't think about that, but we do have some of the Swedish uh, Swedish flag in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's cool. That's cool. So let me like give me some insight of how this all started for you. Like, well, how did you get into tennis? How young were you? Were you competing and, and so on before you got into fuzzy yellow balls? Yeah, I, w I got in basically uh, as soon as I could hold a racket. Um my dad, uh, my dad taught himself how to play on a dirt court in Chester, South Carolina, which I'm sure nobody listening knows where that is. It's essentially kind of a, a, a rest stop almost on the, in between Columbia, South Carolina and Charlotte, North Carolina. But when I was a baby, I had a tennis ball in my, uh, is it pronounced mobile or mobile? Well, the, the thing that spins around over your head. Yeah, when you're it's a, baby. a mobile, I think. I think it's a mobile. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a tennis ball in in my mobile, and then uh, as soon as I could hold a racket, Dad took me out, and you know we started hitting, and played in high school, played in college, and after I graduated from college, I I I taught at the tennis center at College Park, Maryland, like you mentioned before. I'm, uh, I you know I moved back to D.C. where I'm from, and the JTCC is where uh, Francis Tiafo came out of. And so I would show up at work in this is 2000. I graduated in 2004. So I would show up to work in 05 and 06. And Francis would run out of the broom closet where he was, you know, if you know his story, like his his dad was a immigrant from Sierra Leone and, and was the janitor there. And they lived basically in the broom closet. So he would run out of the broom closet every day when I would show up at work. Uh, wow. so it's just, he's, he's an awesome, awesome guy. Uh, so I, I couldn't be happier for, for, uh, for his success, but that's sort of my, uh, my in-person teaching background. And then in 2007 ish, six, seven, somewhere, maybe it's 2006, I was bouncing around this new website called YouTube and there was one instructional video tennis instructional video on YouTube and it had 55,000 views, which back then was an insane number of views. I, I saw, I mean, that's like millions today. And the instruction was fine. It was perfectly fine. I just remember the coach in the video was wearing a fanny pack to hold the tennis balls. And I was so offended. I was like, this is tennis is supposed to be cool. You know, at least put them in your pockets like a normal person. 
<laughs> so I just said to myself, like, I could do this better. And that's, I, I called up my best friend from first grade, a guy named Adam Siminski, who was, who was living out in Arizona at the time. He's a tech whiz. So we, uh, we started working on, on FYB and trying to figure out how to make it go. And that's, uh, that's sort of the quasi long-winded story behind it. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, I remember seeing you early, I think, I mean, I think it's easy to forget how fast everything moved from when like yeah. YouTube was kind of birthed until what it is today, which, which is mainly what a lot of people watch, you know, that's even, sure. I think I watch more YouTube than I watch Netflix for sure. Or any other kind of streaming. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. Like I don't even have a, a television, you know, it's just all off my computer, you know? Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm, the, I have a television, but it's kind of like just a wall art, you know? <laughs> it's, it's sure, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you want to sometimes put up the Mona Lisa. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So it's uh, it's uh, weird how times have changed so fast, so rapidly, and uh, and it's interesting also to see like the growth of tennis on the platform because even when I I didn't start that many years ago. I mean, Tennis Nerd has been around since like 2011 or something as a website, but then I started doing some YouTube videos, uh, just for fun. And but now in the last I would say year or two, it's been like there's so many reviewers, obviously many many coaches. I think that is the most. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the easiest way to maybe grow your your uh, channel or grow your audience because people always want more tips and tricks and they want them for free generally, and uh, and but also other like content creators whether it's matches or cult tennis which is doing kind of more of documentary of course, stuff. Yeah, you Andrew. Know? Mm -hmm. uh, so huge, um, huge growth and and but you did it like in a slightly different way. You have some very interesting products. I've used several of them. You know, even before we started uh, getting to know each other, and uh, you went that way of, of trying to build a very high-end production uh, with, like, you work with Brian Brothers, right? And and mm -hmm. Navratilova yep, like, and yep. some other players. How, how did you get into that? Like, what, what was your kind of transition from more YouTube into more professional kind of style content? Yeah, so so we, the, our, we uploaded our first YouTube videos in 2007. And uh, other than the, the dude with one, other than the coach with the fanny pack who had one video... On YouTube, we were the only game in town and we were creating a lot of content. And back then it was hard to create content. Like that was 2007 was the first year of the iPhone. I don't even think they had video cameras there then. And so, you know, we were buying the cameras we bought, you know, they, they would record to a tape. They were several thousand dollars and they were recording standard definition. You know, they looked terrible compared to what you can do with your phone now. But there was a big barrier to entry to creating content on YouTube. And so one of the reasons we got big initially was because we were the, the because of that barrier to entry uh, and, and, and specifically, I think that the tech skills required to make it work was, and this is goes back to, to Adam uh, FYB's co-founder. He's, he's a brilliant technically, so he could make everything work and just overcome that barrier in a, in a way that a lot of other folks, uh, couldn't at the time. Now, the challenge back then was we were getting millions of views. I mean, I think we've had 70 million views on our YouTube channel, but most of them were from over a decade ago when we were really cranking out content. But YouTube's um, ad uh, uh, platform back then wasn't nearly as mature, so you wouldn't make that money off of ads. I mean, now you can, if you're, if you're getting a million views a month, you're making you know, I'm kind of quasi making a number up, but you're probably making 10 K off of maybe a little less, maybe a little more depending on the niche um, 
off of simply YouTube ads, not counting any sponsorships you can get in your own videos. And so you can support yourself uh, getting a million views a month um, on, on YouTube, which sounds like a lot and it is a lot of views, but it's not like an outrageous number of views. I mean, I have some, some buddies that are, that are getting like, you know, their channel has like 30 million views a month and they're just wow. absolutely crushing it. And they're not in tennis, but um, um, you know, it just, just in terms of a window into the scale that's possible on YouTube. But, uh, so we, so we basically, we, start, we, we didn't make any money, literally like no money for the first three years, 2007 to 2010. And then, uh, maybe 2009, end of 2009 is technically more accurate, but then we were like, we got to start charging for some of our content, uh, if we're going to make this work as a business. And uh, once we figured out how to do that, then we were able to afford talent like the Bryans or Martina Navratilova uh, and, and the other pros that we work with. So that was sort of the, the evolution of, of FYB. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I figured because I, I, there was kind of a, I think there was a time maybe there was even easier to make money of YouTube because it was less competition. But generally, I think uh, now there is at least you know, a road to some financial success or freedom, whatever you want to call it. Like it, it depends on your, on your niche. You said, uh, said that pretty well, because I think tennis is a little bit trickier than if yeah. you're maybe a tech reviewer or something that it has, you know, especially like toy reviewers, like for yeah, kids like to finance, watch. your finance, you know, anything yeah, yeah. related to like making money or health and wellness, you're probably doing well. You know, that, that is probably a, a good niche as well. Yeah, yeah, I think I think tennis is a bit trickier, and I I don't know if the YouTube other YouTubers can back me up, but it's it's still like a viable option. Where while you were some years back before it was, so it makes sense that you were were doing more. Yeah, I mean back back then, this is getting a little bit into the weeds, um, but the CPM back then. So this basically for a CPM for everybody watching is for every one thousand views you get of your video, how much money will you make? And so back then, it was maybe a dollar. Um, so that means if you got a million views, you'd make a thousand bucks, which obviously is not sustainable. And I think now, you know, I don't, I don't know what they are for tennis, but I would assume they're somewhere between five to 10, you know, depending on the type of video. Um, but yeah, so now obviously it becomes a lot more viable. Um, and again, that's, that's just off of YouTube's thing. That's not accepting like, it, you know, in video sponsorships or, or pushing people back to your own website to buy your own products. But that's sort of, um, for the people who listen to this are like, I thought this was going to be tennis content. And now it's like, YouTube <laughs> I have to cut business. all of this out. Yeah. <laughs> I like this stuff too. This is the problem. Like I, I, I could be talking about other things as well, obviously than just tennis, but then it's the tennis nerd podcast. So it gets kind of, you get stuck into the, the tennis. Oh, you probably bit. got some like coaches or, I mean, like a perfect example is like Felix Mishker. Uh, uh, if you guys don't know, like the tennis brothers channel, yeah, yeah. like he's 19 and he's trying to go pro, um, and, but he's got this massive YouTube following now, which, um, I think is, is funding his endeavors to a large extent just because he's got so much exposure, which is great because tennis, like trying to go pro, especially in the early days is tough. Uh, just, it's such an expensive sport to, um, um, to try and play professionally, uh, until you obviously like make it in your top hundred and then, then it becomes more financially viable. No, it's true, and I think that's a good point and and uh, a, a like interesting pathway for players. I mean, obviously, you can go the college route, like you try to go to college, you have an education, 
you get some training for free, you play part of a team. I think it's a good good way maybe to to also improve your tennis. Obviously, you've seen some good American players come from from the college route. Sure. Uh, in Europe, a little bit tougher, maybe I would say, but you can get you know go from Europe too to the American colleges. So I think that yeah, you that's get a, well, one. you get a lot of that. I mean, you have a lot yeah. of. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I'd say I, I'm kind of making a number up, but you you see a lot of American colleges. Half the team, if not more, is is actually foreign players now. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I think that's always like people see that as as the viable option, right? But mm -hmm. then, you, like Felix, kind of becomes this. I would say role model, but kind of in a way that you can do it. Like he's a young guy, he's good at creating content and he's open to actually showing his whole journey. So you need to be yeah. quite, um, you need to be a little bit more giving, you know, with yourself. Like if you're going to have rough days and rough matches and rough patches, you're going to have some, some negative comments possibly, you know, you're going to get a lot of support, sure. but as you know, as a creator, you usually you see one bad comment that is on your head for th two days while you have 4,000 positive comments you don't care about at all. <laughs> it's just like, obviously, this <laughs> Well, dude, back in the day, so like back in 2007, it was unique to have haters. Like you didn't, like the, the phenomenon of haters wasn't a thing. So I remember the first couple negative comments I got, I was like, why would someone say this? And you start, like you're <laughs> up point. at night thinking about it. You're like, maybe, do they have a point or like- and then you're like, oh, people on the internet are just idiots now. Like, you know, you read YouTube comments, you're like, all right, this is someone who's like sitting in their parents' basement and has yeah. nothing better to do. So, so now, you know, you just, it's, now I'm like, I'm like, I almost like, I don't want to say I seek them out, but I'm like looking for the ones that are funny or like, oh, that's a hilarious burn or something like that. But you don't let it affect you because you're like, these people are just trying to get a rise out of you. But I remember like 15 years ago, like you took it personally. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I, mean, I think all content creators have to go through that process still, where they first see those negative comments. Like, what? Who would say something like this? No, and they wouldn't tell you to your face. I think it's generally like the keyboard warrior mentality where you feel like you, I, I, I'm unhappy or slightly jealous that I'm not doing this because I'm a better person than this person, and then I'll, I'll have to write some things to make sure that I, my ego, you know, is like superior or just yeah. like push them down a bit. It, and and you notice in the interest of of transparency, at least half of the negative comments on your channel I left under burner accounts. That's good. It was, that's it was that, all that, that, Yeah, so I want to apologize for all those negative. <laughs> that makes me happy, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I've been pretty fortunate, and also I think it. I mean, I, I'm a little bit older than most other like tennis content creators, so for me, you always always already have like you worked in media and stuff. You already have a thicker skin. Generally, I've done other like public stuff before, so. It's not so bad, but I guess for younger people, maybe players, you know, they play competitively. Uh, they can have a harder time with saying like, "Hey, your backhand sucks, man," or "or this is shit," or whatever they people tell you. But uh, you, it, it's a good learning. Like you, people are can be mean on keyboards, but generally you don't find someone in an elevator saying like, "Hey, yeah, you, you suck, man. Your your content is bad." You know, you're gonna. No make one would say the stuff people say on the internet. They would never say to someone's face. No, no, yeah. exactly. And probably they don't see a lot of faces in their life. That's a feeling of the, some of the they, trolls. They like. probably don't. They probably don't. It's tough to leave that basement. Yeah, it's tough to leave it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but how has the reception been for your products? Like, why do you talk? You're out uh, in the clubs a lot? Or, you know, how, how do you talk to people? Do you do a lot of in-person coaching still or no? I don't do any in-person coaching. Uh, you know, I've done some events with like the Bryan Brothers or, uh, 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 you know, some other, some other top talent. I think probably... My not to say that I'm a bad in-person coach. I just don't think it's it's my uh, my unique ability. If that's um, 
Um, uh, that's a term I got from Dan Sullivan. If, if anybody listening is familiar with Dan Sullivan, he's kind of like a business coach, but, um, I think what I probably do best is working with experts and, uh, get and, and getting their insights and expertise out and, and getting it to, uh, primarily USDA, uh, league and club players in a way that's actually usable. Uh, so like when we work with the Bryans, for example, you know, they're six, I'm, I'm five, eight, first of all, and they're six, four. So just seeing me next to them when we're in a video, there's a clear uh, sort, you know, people look at Bob Mike, they're like, oh my gosh, they hit like 130 miles an hour. Like, how am I ever going to be able to do this? And so whenever we create content with former pros, we're very intentional about not talking about hitting it 130 miles an hour or uh, anything that, you know, 55 year old club player wouldn't be able to do. So it's more, you know, Bob and Mike, we might say like, what do you look for in terms of anticipating where the ball is going to cross the net? So, you know, when to poach or, you know, when to cover the alley or, you know, when to cover the lob. So I think that is sort of more what I'm good at. And so we've, we focused more on, on that versus the in, uh, in-person stuff. I think that's good. Also, I think it makes sense to have a self-awareness of saying like, I, I am good at this. I'm not either like comfortable or very good at this. So I'll leave that to other people because I think that that's a skill in itself to be able to cut stuff out that you're not so good at. You can't do and, everything. right? And dude, Jonas, you should know this, like as a fellow Swede, uh, do you realize how much sunblock I have to wear when I go outside? <laughs> it's like, I was going broke spending money on SPF 70. So I was like, I'm going to stay, I'm going to do, I'm going to teach tennis indoors. How can I do that? That was, that was really the entire motivation behind my entire business is how can I spend more time inside, uh, spend less on sunblock and not get sunburned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I have some uh, weird blood in you or like, I don't really burn at all. Like, so for me, I, I get brown easily. I, I'm always kind of brown, always in the sun, but I would want to say that you should always wear sunblock. That's uh, the <laughs> the disclaimer, but it's also um, it's also quite tough on you as physically to be on a court all day and and coach. Like I, I see players who've been very good players. Uh, they tried the ATP tour. Maybe they were six hundred, eight hundred thousand, whatever, sure. and they're now coaches and they stand there and they feed balls to you know either promising talent, but also some of them they they do coach kids. You know, which is more like feeding balls and trying to you know, inspire them a bit or, or give yeah. them some good pointers. And that must get a bit rough, rough on the body after a while. Like you're always out there. You're always, you know, either on hard courts or usually or clay courts. So I, I, I don't really, I love being on a tennis court, but, but that type of life is, it would be tough for me. To, yeah. To when, and, and any teaching pro knows that. I mean, when I was teaching at JTCC, especially in the summer, you're out on a hard court, it's, you know, it's 110 degrees on the hard court. Uh, with the sun reflecting off of it. And I remember I would not only cake myself in sunblock, but I'd be wearing towels over my head and around my neck, just trying to not get burned. Cause I really do burn really fast. So yeah. I was just like job with me in the sun is like, eh, it's not gonna, that's not going to fly on top. And I also have flat feet. So like my back at the end of the day would just, you know, feet and back would be, it'd be struggling. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a physically grinding sport. And I think, maybe one of the issues that people go into coaching from a one one perspective is that they obviously you can't make enough money on the ATP tour like or if you're yeah. not top 100 as we talked about you know or yeah. WTA same same situation so well, it's not it's not a great I mean you look at like the NBA if you're the you know if you're 200 200th best player in the NBA 
you're still starting, you know, you're like the fifth, you know, fifth player in the starting rotation. And I don't know what, I mean, I think the NBA veteran minimum is at least a million dollars a year. It might be high and you're not paying for hotel travel or any of that. Um, and obviously if you're 200 in the world in, in on, on tour, you're probably losing money uh, with travel, hotel, coaching, all that stuff. Yeah, without sponsors, it's it's a tough. It's not so, such an easy lifestyle. Yeah. So people yeah. don't. And then, what's the career after that? Like, if you decide, okay, I'm not, I'm going to retire. I'm 30 years old. It's not happening for me. Whatever you know, you're injured. And what do you do? You know, and okay, now you can go into making content, maybe on YouTube, which is a good good way. But before it was pretty much like you have to be a coach. You know, yeah. Unless you have another education, you know, we saw this uh, Pekotic guy. He. Uh, where did he have his success with Key Biscayne? I think it was, right? That where he, you know, 33-year-old works in finance and then he... Well, then he, he beat Jack Sock. Is that yeah, right? yeah, he beat Jack Sock. I, I know this guy a little bit, but from because he used to live in Malta when he was like really young, you know? Okay. Uh, but but he beat Jack Sock and then you're like, okay. And then he gets this hope again. You know, he might not win another ATP match. Sure. I don't yeah. know. But but, <laughs> but it's like that that dream has not died, you know? And then it's, it's almost nice you see that kind of fairy tale. You just you have a flicker of life. And sure. then we'll see what happens. You know, he wants to play more tournaments and we'll see what happens. But but it's like he pretty quickly realized, okay, I can't keep sustaining this life. You know, it's it's a, you know, you go into finance, you go into something that that pays sure. yeah. pays the bills, right? Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for the college route, just because you do obviously since you're getting an education, you have more options. Um, and you can play on tour for a couple of years, see how it goes. Obviously, you're doing it when you're physically at your peak. Um, and have the best chances of success, but then, uh, but then you will have, you know, would have more options once, uh, once you come off tour. Yeah. Yeah. And and for you, I mean, with the the audience you have, like, do you see like a clear, um, demographic, like an age group that, that goes for your products or, or your, your coaching? Um, or, I mean, I see a lot of like, I mean, I talk a lot about rackets, obviously, and strings and gear and shoes and whatnot, sometimes other stuff, but it's, I see like a, a very strong, um, group in that 4.5 NTRP, 4.0, 4.5, maybe 3.5 NTRP. Uh, yeah. Don't know exactly what that translates to in, in UTR. I think around seven something, 6.57. Uh, so is that the same for you? Like, do you see people who want, like they're pretty decent at tennis, uh, mm-hmm. but that ex- next step is so tough and you need to put in so much work and you need some help, like just some tips and tricks. What, how can I unlock my serve? How can I do something to improve what's already decent, but it's not quite up to scratch? Yeah. Yeah. I, the NTR, the, there's rather the uh, UTR I haven't figured out yet. But but yeah, our, our, our core demo, and this is customers, is over the age of 40 um, and in the range of 3.5 to 4.5, somewhere in there. I'd say three, I'd say most of them are 3.5s or 4.0s. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense, but I think I think that step is is uh is a big one. Like Carousel now did this like four point five video journey, another good YouTuber, and um, yeah, yeah that's and a great. That, that, that's really good content. Yeah, yeah, he does he does a great job, and I think it's it's interesting to take a player that has like you know he's pretty decent physically, he he can play, but he has some issues in his game, like we all have, and then he can try to see if how much he can prove this guy within. I mean, it's a challenge for him. It's also great content that people will resonate. With. Yeah, I mean, the, the type of content we try to create now is extremely targeted. Um, you know, in the past, we've had some, and you can see it on YouTube, uh, and 
not, I guess I'm just like quasi poo-pooing my old content, even though people, uh, a lot of people really liked it. It would be like, here's the progression to, to, uh, build your forehand from either scratch or, you know, blow up your forehand and, and rebuild it. And that obviously takes a ton of, uh, time and effort to, to rebuild a shot. And so a lot of the stuff we found that people really resonate with, uh, is, and we were talking about this uh, you know, just before we started rolling, is something with like Craig O'Shaughnessy, who's the stats whiz, uh, who used to run stats for Djokovic and is doing it for a ton of other players now and is, is kind of just leading the analytics charge in tennis like somebody like Billy Bean did with sabermetrics and baseball 20 years ago. And just a very simple example is uh, you should basically never hit a backhand approach shot down the line. There's obviously some exceptions, but um, don't just accept, don't hit a backhand approach shot down the line. Instead, run around that ball and hit a forehand cross court and follow the forehand in, which sounds counterintuitive. You're like, well, I'm, I'm approaching on a diagonal now. It, like that, you know, I was taught never to do that. But the stats show that the the backhand down the line approach has a 53% win percentage. It's above 50%. Yay. But if you run around that same ball and then hit that forehand cross court and follow it in, your win percentage goes up to 76%. So knowing that is a very simple thing someone can implement the next time that they play. It's basically don't hit there, hit here instead. It's, it's very, very basic and understandable and you start adding little uh uh things like that to your game tweaks and strategy and it starts to accumulate and so it's very much like one of the most impactful books i ever read was uh, atomic habits by james clear yeah, yeah that's good. and yeah and 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 you know it's it, it's called atomic habits because it means like tiny like atomic size tiny changes to your habits add up to to massive shifts after um, a, a period of time. So the stat he says in the book is if you improve at something 1% every day for a year, at the end of the year, you'll be 37 times better at that. So a lot of the times I think when people look at tennis, they're like, I have to make this massive shift in terms of how I play. I need to blow up my serve. I need to blow up my backhand, rebuild it. And that might be true. But I wouldn't look at the, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on the the much smaller changes you can make on, on a methodical basis. Maybe just in terms of your strategy, you know, hit here versus there, or where you stand, um, or small changes to your technique, and that it, that stuff really does add up. So I think that's kind of how I approach our content now is very, very small, granular stuff that I know if people just methodically implement one lesson and the next lesson and the next lesson, it will add up to a big result. Yeah. I think that's what's so good about it because I think it also um, relates well to your singles playbook where it's more about what you can do with the game you already have. And I think that is one important part of it because it's so hard to improve technically. I mean, let's say you're, you're, you know, you're 40 plus, you're 50 plus, whatever, you know, learning new things is not that easy anymore. Like it takes a lot of time. You might have kids you might have a job you might have everything like kind of going against you in terms of time so having something that is just like okay i'm not gonna hit it uh, i'm gonna hit it cross court or i'm gonna mainly use my forehand for that stuff like that was one of the key factors because 
you you think, oh, I should use my backhand more. I'm, I'm too defensive on my backhand. I'm just like only slicing, blah, blah, blah. But with, with the Craig's stats that you showed in, in the, the new rules of tennis was kind of eye-opening in the way like, okay, it actually makes sense to to hit that forehand instead, even if you have to run around it. And you might yeah. open an angle, but they're not going to statistically make that shot enough for it to be a bad idea. So I think these small things, instead of just changing, because changing, if you have a kind of old school forehand and then you're just going to make it an Alcaraz forehand, that is very, very difficult. And also maybe you're not physically you know, gifted or physically fit enough to actually keep hitting that forehand over and over again, the way Alcaraz does, for example. So it's probably better to use your old forehand and just place the ball a bit smarter, you know, and, and not play the different patterns, for example. Look, if you figure out how to hit the Alcaraz forehand, please tell me. So I yeah. can, uh, <laughs> I would like that forehand. Yeah, yeah, I think most people will, will because, but that's also why we love watching the pros. I think it's just a danger game when you get into this. Like, I think a lot of people ruined their tennis game, although they had maybe fun, which I think is the most important part. But it's like if you're gonna play like Roger Federer, for example, sure, you, it's not easy to emulate his game. I think emulating Andy Murray is easier, for example. I mean, you just like hit with depth, you know, be patient, wait for your opportunity. If you're going to go and hit, try to hit like winners percentage, low percentage tennis like Federer, it's going to be tough. Like you need to need to have a bomb serve or, or you know, something. So yeah. I think it's people watched him for many, many years and then they saw like, okay, I want to hit the forehand like Federer and they try to imitate that. And that's not really so viable for like recreational tennis where you have to just not make so many errors. Yeah. You get sort of enamored with um, whether it's the beauty of Federer's. Uh, forehand or or Alcaraz's power. The one thing I found interesting these are these are uh, Craig's stats is uh, most people tend to hit a, a backhand or hit drop shots. It's a backhand slice down the line, and that's about a fifty fifty win percentage. What Alcaraz is doing is he'll run around a backhand, hit a forehand deep to push his opponent back. They hit the ball back cross court, and then he winds up like he's going to hammer another forehand. And then he hits a cross court forehand drop shot. Uh, so like that, but that, and that raises his win percentage to 70%. But that is totally like a way a, a club player could copy what Alcaraz is doing. Like that pattern, first forehand pushes back, second forehand, you show forehand, then you hit a cross court inside out forehand drop shot. Like you could do that. And that'll work. You know, the, the folks you're playing aren't nearly as fast as the folks that, Alcaraz is playing so they're not going to run down like a, a mediocre drop shot no exactly. so that's that's kind of like how I look at the pro game is like there's stuff there sitting there often in plain sight that we can copy we just gotta figure out what that is um so that's why you know Craig has figured it out from the stats standpoint or like Martina Navratilova um uh with how she teaches the volleys is is quite interesting and and um um i know has helped my volleys and helped the, the folks we've uh we've she basically is like you don't want to cock your wrist up too much because you end up hacking down on your volleys that way you want a lot more much more neutral wrist position but little things like that are super valuable yeah and also they're they're much easier to implement i think when you're getting yeah. extremely technical uh it's harder to break down i mean unless you have really unlimited time to go out with a ball machine or you, you want to hit fed balls you have a coach and a lot of people don't have that. They just go and they yeah. play their, you know, they have few hitting partners. They might play like a set, you know, three times a week, two times a week. This is the normal tennis player, right? Or maybe they play some club league or or doubles or whatever. And that's, they have to work with what they have in terms of time as well. 
which I think is yeah. important, right? I, but you can always use a match for like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try this specific pattern to play and that's going to, you know, you're going to be doing something proactive to improve your game and you'll see what works in the context of the shots you've gotten and what doesn't, but that is, you know, I'm very much, it's always this fine line of like, you don't want to tinker with your game too much during a match because then you start thinking about what you're doing and, and you're not kind of more present um, and, and competing. But I'm often I'm trying to work on something when I'm playing a match just for for the point that you, uh, you know, you have a limited amount of time. It'll often be like a strategy that, you know, I'm trying to implement. So and typically less technique, um, but just like everybody else, I start thinking about how I'm swinging and then I start missing a bazillion returns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no, I think, I think the the main this. thing yeah, yeah, to think about during a match is is more on like what is your opponent doing trying to mm -hmm. use that like where is he weakness where does he have weaknesses or she ha have weaknesses and also like how are how can you use those or use your own game to the to the max not think so much about why am i hitting my i should hit a bigger forehand i don't think that's gonna you know help it's not easy to do technical improvements during a match i think no. but, but strategical improvements i'm sure you can because that's gonna For win sure. you the matches so, so you're 100 sure. right yeah. uh, so how often do you play yourself matches or or training I probably play three times a week, I'd say, maybe 3.5. I, I get out there a good amount. Um, I'll play uh, probably a couple times a week with my my dad. So my dad's uh, 84 and I'm 41. So we'll play father-son doubles and dad will get one of his buddies and I'll get one of my buddies. Um, and we'll have, well, I, we'll have a good like even match, you know, because it's somebody my level and somebody dad's level. Um, and so that's, uh, I, I, I'm lucky enough, obviously to live, live near my parents. So I'll play, I'll play with my dad, um, at least once a week, often we'll play twice a week. Like we're going to hit tomorrow. Um, just hit some, um, just hit singles basically. But then, uh, oh, oh, this weekend we'll get some games. And then there's a DC has got surprisingly has got a really good group of like ex college players, like a lot of XD one guys. So I've got a good group here of, uh, of guys who can ball. So, you know, played last night, uh, singles. It was the second time I've played sing. I play a lot of dubs now. It was the second time I hit singles in probably like probably this year. And it's like, man, I'm sore. Like, you know, like, you got to work when you play singles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played, um, Will, uh, Bosek, I think his name is, he's a doubles specialist guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. He, From tennis tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Tennis tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and like, he, but he lives told, in like Dallas, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, no, no. We play. We, he was in Austria for this head. Yeah, like uh, gravity. tennis. Like, how did that work? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so he uh, he was in this uh, for this Austria um, gravity event. So we met. Oh, I met him in Austria. I didn't know about him before, and we just started hitting a bit. Uh, and he said like, oh, I'm not used to doing this. Like, this is. Like, I'm like, what, what? What are you not used to? <laughs> You're a tennis guy, right? But, but he's like, I'm, I'm doubles, doubles, doubles all the time, doubles. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get, I get you know, that, that's completely different sport like you approach it differently so that, that was yeah, quite interesting doubles is more forward and back and singles is more side to side You're like oh. yeah yeah and a little bit more more intense obviously you need to cover more of a court i would say uh I'm yeah and I, I play this game i learned from uh this is a good one if you if you don't know it i learned it from lawson duncan who uh made it to the fourth round of the french open in 2000 uh, sorry to uh in in 89 he's probably like 56 57 now if he's lost a step, he's lost like one step. I mean, the dude is still just money. And uh, he's he's a, a pro outside of Asheville, North Carolina, where I go um, and spend some time over the summer. So I'll go and, and play with him. 
which is just such an interesting challenge uh, playing, you know, a guy who is that good. And he has a game called tug of war where it's a, it's a singles drop and hit game. So there's no serves, but like, you know, if we were playing, we'd start at five, you're trying to get to 10. I'm trying to get to zero. So we start at five, you win the first point, it goes to six, you win the next point, it goes to seven. If I win the next point, it goes back down to six. If I win the next two points, we're now down at four, right? So it's just this back and forth. And you get somebody you're evenly matched with. I mean, the game, I haven't played the game for like an hour. And eventually the person who is in better shape ends up winning in a situation like that. But it's like the best workout you could ever get. That's great. I like that. Yeah, I didn't know about tennis. this game. Yeah, it's called Tug of War. It's, but I learned that from Lawson, who was like, he said he used to do it with Lendl back in the day. And I mean, Lawson, his forehand's insane. Uh, one of the biggest forehands I've ever seen. Even now, like his forehand is bigger than a lot of the pro tour, like current player forehands, things just nuts. But he's just in incredible shape. Yeah, yeah. No, that helps, of course. You know, if you can keep that. How old was he, you said? 50 plus? Oh, he's like 56, 57 now. Oh, that's impressive. It's also inspirational for uh, for guys getting older. You know, you can you can stay in shape. You can play good tennis until whatever, right? So especially today, age is not so much as it used to was. I mean, when I grew up, you know, you a 30-year-old would, would have like an old wool cardigan and <laughs> look like they were <laughs> ready for the grave, you know? <laughs> it was a bit different. Now it's a little bit more more funky uh, old people out there, which is good. Yeah, Lawson still got it. Good. No, it, and it sounds like a good game. I think it's it's... I, I like to keep it physical, so so that's great. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice that you're playing with your father. And uh, I know he's he's a he's a lawyer, right? He wrote a book now recently. Yeah, yeah. Did you buy it? <laughs> I have not buy- bought it. I, I what? this is a confession. What? <laughs> that is ridiculous. Well, if you have, I'm hijacking your podcast to plug Dad's book. It's called Advocate by James Hamilton. You can find it on Amazon. I will uh, now buy it. Just, just to be I appreciate. It. Please leave a very positive review. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you it's gotta, nice. You gotta, you gotta juice the algorithm. You know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. No, and also, you know, because the DC history would be quite interesting, actually. Um, yeah, so he played tennis all, all his life or like before you uh, were born as well. He started in high school uh, when he was, you know, he's, he's in Chester, South Carolina. And like I said, there's like a dirt court. Um, I mean, he was born in 1938. So it was way back in the day. I mean, this is the 50s. Um, so, you know, wooden racket, dirt court. And you know, I think he said he used to slice his forehand until he was in his 40s. So you can change your technique. Now he hits uh, with some topspin. Yeah, uh, I, not as much as me, but, you know. So yeah, no, I, I know. I know. Same with my my father. We play, because we're both in Spain now, and, and we play at least once a week. Um, he's not a big fan of doubles, but we play doubles sometimes. But uh, we play, he likes hitting singles, you know. And he has a decent sure. decent technique. Movement could be improved, but um, but like, but getting them to hit with more spin, that's usually harder when you're you're playing with older players generally i would well, not all well, they that. hit with spin it's just backspin like yeah, yeah, dad's exactly. got a, dad's got a great slice back end i think it's sweet yeah uh, but he's not gonna he's not gonna hit any rollers or any you know dipping passing shots no 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 exactly so you don't you don't see that like he's trying to prove it we, we're trying to work on it so i see it as a bit of my kind of like i, I like coaching people in person uh i like to hear my own voice i guess i don't know uh but it, <laughs> well, we but all do that's when we start youtube channels it's part vanity <laughs> exactly it's a vanity contest uh no no but it's like i i like to see if if things you know can help someone else right this is just like okay this is the the sales pitch mother Teresa sale pitch of, of that argument 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's fun to see if you can. But if it's very easy to overload with information, I notice when I you coach sure. someone. Like I'm not like a trained coach, but I, I obviously have you know been in love with tennis for a long time. So, I, and I watch everything and try to read everything about tennis in general. But it's like it's hard to not give too much information. Yeah. I find that's a, a struggle. Yeah, we went through. I remember the very first. We never actually filmed this, but our very first, uh, this is back, you know, 2007, like outline for how to teach the forehand had like 37 steps. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just just nuts. And I remember running it by, uh, there's a coach out at JTCC at the time, Frank Salazar, his mentor of mine, good buddy. Uh, he, he trained Dennis Kudla. I I know know a bit. Yeah. 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 When Dennis was like a junior into, into the pros but I showed that to Frank and he was like, dude, you, forehand, you, it needs to be like five steps or no one's going to follow this. You know, it's like, I think it, we call it like pivot shoulder turn, take the racket back, swing to contact, follow through. I'm obviously missing one in there, but it was just, very, we drilled, we made it way more basic. Um, and that those videos are probably our most viewed ones on YouTube, partially because they're just, you know, older and they were the only game in town at the time. But um, it, 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 this is, this is the long winded, uh, lot of information and tangent way of saying that, uh, you want to create, <laughs> you want content to be short and like to the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> a good way of phrasing it. And, uh, I mean, you, we talked briefly about it before you're, you're good buddies with Ian, uh, who's essential yeah. tennis yeah. channel is, is, is pretty big and he's, he's doing a good job at, at educating loads of players. He's in, where is he now in base? Well, he, he, he's from, he's originally from Wisconsin and like what was crazy, the crazy thing is how many online guys came out of DC because, so Ian was here in Washington teaching at a country club called Congressional. And then when the online thing got big enough for him, he was able to quit and move back home to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was like, dude, you could live anywhere in the world. Why would you move to Wisconsin? Why would you move to Milwaukee, Wisconsin? It's a fair point, I would say. <laughs> he he was he he smirked when I told him that joke. It wasn't a full lap, but it was a smirk. Um, but then uh uh Scott Baxter, who runs Play Your Court, who I'm sure a lot of folks have heard of, he was he was a coach at Chevy Chase Country Club, which is you know, obviously another club here, and then uh, when he got big enough, he was able to uh, uh, quit and move back home to Virginia Beach, which sounds way better than Milwaukee, Wisconsin. No offense to Milwaukee, but yeah, it does sound a little bit better. And I is it like is it the DC media vibe that gets you into kind of oh I want to create content, you know, or or something like that? I can do this media stuff, in, or what do you? Man, think? I don't know if that was ever that much of a motivator. Uh, and 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 I mean, it's more like if you're from DC, you're just sort of like in what dc is which is like media and politics like i was a poli-sci major at at davidson college which basically means you have absolutely no skills but you're (laughs) awesome at cocktail parties that's good Uh, like that's probably my number one skill set is cocktail parties like i can talk for five minutes about anything uh that's a cool skill i like that skin Uh, it's not bad it's it's helpful i don't it doesn't pay the bills but if you can get yourself invited to cocktail parties you'll keep getting invited back yeah, yeah uh, because uh, you're 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 engaging enough, like you pass the engagement level. Like this is uh, it's good, good social. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just you just you basically have to just be. I don't want to call it bullshitting because it's not necessarily bullshitting. You just need to be able to, because uh, that's what people think of when they think of Washington. But it's just like 
uh, holding a conversation and trying to make it interesting. But uh, yeah, so so was poli sci, and I, you know, if if anybody wants to talk about Abraham Lincoln's constitutional philosophy, I am more than happy to dust off my thesis. But um, uh, I, I don't know if any of that drove me to do uh, fuzzy yellow ball, other than the fact that I was like, eh, I don't really know if I want to be in politics or government. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I mean, uh, people can say, talk about bullshit and whatnot, but it's also a very interesting city. There's full of like, I mean, there's a lot of culture, there's uh, a lot of politics, obviously, but you do end up in interesting conversations with a lot of people because there's op many opinions around, floating around. And also, like you said, like being good at conversational things, finding topics, finding yeah. common ground, I think is very important to be able to float around. And obviously, if you're a politician, you need to be a little bit more political how you and uh, not to offend or or you say the yeah, wrong sure. thing, especially today. Sure. But well, but DC, generally, I think it's a good skill, right? Yeah, DC gets a bad rap just because uh, it's a punching bag in the media uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, to your point, I mean, because it is the seat of government, you get people coming from all 50 states and you get, because it's essentially the most powerful city in the world, you get people coming from all around the world, every single country. So it is very culturally rich uh and interesting uh so i love it i mean it's you know there's never a dull day no no i i i, I really miss it that sometimes because I unless think unless you're in your basement uh leaving hurtful comments on other people's youtube channels <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, well there's always room for that somewhere maybe someone <laughs> that's true that's true don't don't cut that time out of your day it's important uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> if you're on the toilet leave some angry comments so you have that quota filled right so you make sure yeah, you have like... exactly exactly it's uh it's you time yeah, yeah, just just troll around. Getting back to tennis, uh, I think, have you seen, like, if there would be one advice, one tip, one thing, what, what would that be to give to to a player, like, that you've learned over the years, you know, in tennis? This oh, is a very easy question to answer. No, I, I, know, I mean, I immediately snap back to the, I've already given the Atomic Habits one, uh, which is the incremental stuff. Um, but that's that's good. Like that's worth repeating. Actually, that it's it's not um, fixing the whole pie. It's actually like a, a small yeah. slice of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the I think just because I'm sort of on an analytics kick. I mean, I was like I told you before we started. Like I was I was talking with uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy, uh, the stats whiz, earlier today because he's coming back to Washington. We're going to film some stuff on doubles. So I think that stuff. I mean, this is clearly self serving because I'm talking about stuff I'm working on. But I do think that that I think you if you take a step back and just look at all of sports analytics really is changing how people are making decisions and how sports are being played so I think if you haven't given any thought about how that might affect your tennis it does uh it does make a difference and just google yeah. Craig O'Shaughnessy I mean, he's got a bunch of content floating around whether it's on YouTube or on his website his website's brain game tennis so you can go check out his his stuff there as well. Um, so I think that's, that's probably like the most cutting edge stuff to me that I find that I find interesting uh, and how that um, like one of the things we talked, he was, he was telling me today is serving and volleying, which everybody thinks they have to do in doubles. That's certainly been like, you know, a coach over the years would be like, you got to serve and volley, you got to serve and volley. And, and it certainly works, but you don't have to do it. You are more than welcome to serve and stay back but your ground strokes have to set up your partner to poach. You can't, it is, it is impossible. It is like literally impossible to win the point uh, from the baseline 
with a ground stroke. I think his stat was like, if you're in a one-up, one-back formation rallying with the opposing baseline player, the opposing baseline player, you will only, if you were the last person to touch the ball, so the, you know, you're the, you're, you're either going to hit a winner or an error. You're the last person to make contact with the tennis ball in the rally. 96% of the time you're going to make an error and only 4% of the time are you going to hit a winner, which is crazy, but it just goes to, to show the role of like your role from the baseline is not to try and hit a winner. It is trying to set up your partner to poach, right? You don't, you do not want to be the last person to be touching the ball in a rally because you are going to lose the point as the baseline player. Yeah. So don't go for any crazy winners from the baseline. I think that's generally yeah, a yeah. good idea. Yeah. But no. And I, I noticed that when yeah. I play, like I don't play a lot of doubles, I think that's great, great advice. And I, it's, also backed up by data, obviously, but that's the way you get to the advice from the beginning. But yeah. uh, also the data was quite significant, so um, hard to to argue against. But if you don't play a lot of doubles, I play doubles very, very occasionally. Uh, I played some ITF seniors or masters tournament uh, now, and you get into it after a while, but you realize like when you try to do anything too much from the baseline, you, you're going to hit, hit wide or long, right? It's, it's almost always happens right it makes a lot of sense like the yeah. points are won at the net you know in some way uh, or by making someone hit an error but generally i think that makes a lot of sense and you you see how different doubles is from singles i think this is totally different yeah they're totally all different. the winners all the winners are hit at the net basically in dubs do you think doubles um, should get more attention in the from the professional level, or do you think it's about right the way it is right now? Uh, you know, I I don't really have a good answer for that. Um, I think the way I would probably look at it is so. There's one thing as like, okay, I'm a tennis fan and I'm a player, so you know, I I, I enjoy watching doubles like the Bryans, for example. Like Bob and Mike are friends of mine, so whenever I would go to a tournament where they were playing, I would go watch their matches. I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch a singles match. I'd go watch Bob and Mike um, a cause they're friends, but B cause I just, the way they play is super fascinating to me to an extent. There's a lot of strategy uh, uh, in doubles that you don't necessarily have in singles. Sometimes it's the better athlete in singles is going to win. That's as a fan. Uh, I don't have the business numbers behind it, but it, purely from a business sense, uh, if they're not showing it on TV, Maybe they've tested it. I don't know if they've tested it, but my guess is that it just doesn't get the kind of viewership that justifies not showing singles. That would be my my guess. My, my guess is just singles would make TV more money. That's, yeah. that's my guess. And uh, they generally go for the, the, the thing that makes more money. I think that's usually yeah, what you yeah, see. Yeah, of course. It's a business. So like, you can't really blame their decision-making. I mean, what would be nice if they could do it in a cost-effective way is if they could if they could have the doubles streaming, you know, on online and then you could just throw it to your tv or something like that and i think there's a lot of opportunities to do that now but uh my guess is it's just the revenue is not there i mean at the end of the day professional sports whether it's tennis or basketball or football they're businesses you know um yeah, yeah not... exactly so makes sense i think no it's a good answer i i think it's it's i mean sometimes although it it might sound uh, shallow or whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's that's how you make decisions like what is driving in revenues you can't build a, a business on air right so yeah uh, usually they are more tests or more considerations done behind the scenes that the you know general population don't know about they don't know that like, oh, well, we already tested this didn't rank at all or didn't you know view very highly you know people were very bored or whatever um an alarming thing i've seen or alarming i don't know if that's that's the word for it but it's like when you go to these atp 250s 
not maybe 500 or close, maybe sometimes 500. Uh, you see like, a, especially in the early rounds before the quarterfinals, it's not really like a packed house. Uh, I don't yeah. know this, the city open you have in, in DC, whether that's uh, you know, a better example. It's a 500, so that's good. Uh, but is that something you share? Or... Come back, man. You got to come back and hang out this summer. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I want to do that. That would that would be cool, actually. Yeah my my impression of of uh, I, my impression of how the tennis business is run and how they get fan interest is it built around the players, right? It's built around Serena, Sharapova, Nadal, now Alcaraz. They're really pushing. And in a way that like a team sport is not like you've got the Los Angeles Lakers, obviously you've got Kobe or Shaq back in the day, but like people will be like, I'm a Lakers fan, you know, whereas in tennis, they're like, I'm a Federer fan or I'm a Nadal fan and doubles. You have the Bryans and they've played with each other forever. So they would always, that, that is a brand you could build around, but a lot of doubles teams, they're changing, you know, season to season. It, there's no consistency. So I can understand why from a marketing standpoint uh, and if you're, you know, ATP media saying like, where are we going to put our marketing dollars? Like you probably put it behind an Alcaraz or if you're the WTA, put it around like Raducanu versus a doubles team, just because the doubles team might not last that long. No. And also I think it's the same if you don't have the names, because I meant also like for singles, sometimes you go to an event and you see the early rounds, it's quite empty in this stadium. And uh, you know, it's like a lot of money goes into the, the ATP 250, let's say it is. And then you have like empty stands in the beginning and then okay, towards the quarterfinals, semifinals, where hopefully some big names are, there will be audience, you know, and also towards the weekend when people don't work, I guess it makes a big difference as well. So it's it's it seems that it's like people really want to have a player they resonate with or they write, I, I, this guy is my guy or this is my yeah. or whatever. Well, it's, it's why like, so for folks who don't know the economics of the industry, it's like the majors, you have to play them. Um, obviously, if you're injured, you don't. Uh, and then the Masters 1000s, if you're on the ATP or WTA tour, like when you join the tour, you sign a contract basically saying you're going to, you have to play these tournaments. I think you might get one exemption or two. Obviously, if you're injured, you don't have to play them. But then the 500s and the 250s, you don't have to play them. Uh, and so uh, what those tournaments at those levels will do is they pay these appearance fees to all these players because the players drive the gate. Like no one is going to the city open because they're like emotionally connected to the city open for the most part. They're going to see Roddick or they're going to see Sinner or, you know, Sissipas. Uh, But then you get, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, if two, if I think, I think city conflicts or like, is at the same time as Cabo. So like, there's like kind of an arms race in terms of who, you know, how much these players are getting paid to, to get them to go to one tournament versus another. But I think that phenomenon is indicative of what drives the tennis industry. It's the, it's player driven. People come to see the players. It's not like they go to see the Lakers like they would, if you're from Los Angeles or you're here, you go to see, you know, the capitals of Europe hockey fan. Um, so yeah, I just think that, you know, that's that. And, and again, back to dubs, it's like, there's not too many dubs teams besides the Bryans or like when Venus and Serena play together, people are like, Oh my gosh, I gotta go see this team. Yeah. Makes that uh, makes a lot of sense when, it, when it comes to doubles. Now you're working on, on, uh, you have the doubles playbook. You're working on the new rules of doubles uh, with Craig and do you, is the audience for kind of consuming doubles content or 
generally people playing quite a lot of doubles still. Like it's it's if you're looking at the older age groups, I guess it's more doubles than singles, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah so our, there's, best, there's... our best selling product is the doubles playbook. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So, but also because I mean, I guess doubles is a bit of a more strategical game, even because you have like your two guys on and mm -hmm. playing other two guys. So there's a lot more plays you can do. You know, you can do yep. different formations in the in the serve and and return, and can be quite interesting. And that sounds like a kind of a chess game, you know. For for sure, it's totally a chess game, and it's also just like with USDA. I think I think they're even USDA in some areas is eliminating singles. Um, I there, I think there's just more doubles. Don't quote me on this, but I think there's just more doubles tournaments and competition. So when you add in that element of like winning, people are obviously more motivated. They're like, I got to figure out how to win, um, especially after they experience a rough loss. Um, so if you're putting on your like marketing and sales hat, uh, there's more of like a need there that that you're serving with with doubles content. But it, it, it really depends. Like a lot of the a lot of the folks off of YouTube will end up are, are tend to skew younger. So they actually buy the singles playbook more. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no, I, I guess yeah, I mean, that's that's getting into the weeds of like online business, but it, a lot of it depends on your traffic source. Yeah, yeah, of course. I knew you were a wizard that, so I need I need you some lessons actually. Uh, <laughs> when do we get to see the the plastic yellow balls, the pickleball version of, of fuzzy? Dude, I, dude, don't get me started. I am the biggest <laughs> hater. Uh, so we have, we have, I, I'm a huge hater and at the same time I'm a complete hypocrite because we're probably gonna we're looking at how to create content just because it's such a big trend yeah like we'd be idiots to not jump on that train but at the yeah, same you time you have the like, infrastructure already right so yeah we've got all the infrastructure so but I, I'm sitting here being like how much of a hypocrite do I want to become? You know, that's, that's, but I, I think human beings are quite complex and feelings are even more complex and it's part of us. Right. So I think it's fine to be a hypocrite in this sense, because it's also uh, it's kind of infringing on on the tennis world a lot, you know, so it's For obviously sure. going to yeah. feel like, so you know, in, in, in U.S. you see a lot of courts being removed and so on. Uh, on the other hand, you love that people you do some exercise, even though it has a high decibel Emphasis level. Emphasis on some. <laughs> exactly, some exercise. Yeah. Uh, and I, there was this pretty funny. I didn't know. Don't know if you you saw it on on. Uh, I saw it on Instagram. Maybe it's on TikTok as well. But there's a guy who's like, yeah, I'm gonna teach you pickleball. Uh, I'm just an overall nice guy. Uh, so the first, you're gonna take one step to the right. And then you're going to take one step, one more step, and then you're going to leave the building because you want to play this and play a real sport, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. I'll send so that's that to you. That basically summarizes my thoughts. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's good. It's good. No, I, I'm trying to be kind of like open-minded. My, my friend, uh, Marcus, he's a pickleball. He went he, like in Malta then. He's like, it's, it's small here compared to the States, obviously, but... He started playing because he's, um, you know, has a drinking problem and he's overweight. So he needs to do something <laughs> yeah. that is not too physically challenging, right? So, so the problem is pickleball is like kind of a drinking game. Like you can play with a drink in your hand. I think that's so, why he likes it. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So it's like, it's kind of like all my friends who take up golf get more out of shape. Yeah. Because they're just drinking the whole time. So and after I guess afterwards is the big thing because you're like yeah we it's four hours around maybe you know, for people you you sit down you have like a nice lavish lunch and then like a few pints or whatever with that so then it's well it's uh, like it's the 18 holes or the pre you're pre gaming and then the 19th hole which I don't know if you know the slide but the 19th yeah hole yeah yeah I, I played golf yeah. when I was younger yeah 
so, um, yeah, I just like golf is a drinking game and so is pickleball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he plays pickleball and darts. Uh, so I think that is, <laughs> says pretty much everything. Uh, but now, now he started with puddle, which is, uh, not so, you know, growing not so much in the U S or not so much of a presence in the U S but in Europe, it's this kind of the same atmosphere, like with pickleball, it's just taking over, you know, in Spain, yeah, right. it's become like the biggest sport, I think, or at least the second biggest sport. And, um, and also like my first emotions around that was like complete, like, this is just, what is this? Like they, they're playing yeah. in a glass building what, what you can run into the glass. So this is what, why not just play tennis? Yeah. I, I think I, my view on it basically is like pickle and I don't know about paddle, but like they're lower barriers to entry. And so if those can serve as gateway drugs to tennis, I'm cool with it. That is my my perspective as well. So I'm seeing it more as a kind of something where you can maybe cross over between the sports. If someone asks me to play pickleball, I'll happily play some pickleball or paddle. I do that. You know, I did that the other day with Marcus, who who now is into that. Um, and then now I gave them like to my friends two tennis rackets. So I'm like, okay, now you start playing tennis. So now we're we're yeah, starting here, exactly. uh, and then we'll see where it goes. But it's atom think... it's atomic habits, and you're taking these little baby steps and working them towards that transformation. Yeah, it's a 12-step program to becoming yeah. a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, hopefully that works. We'll see. We'll see. But it, it's funny with the pickleball thing because I think I saw um, um, Craig Shapiro, I think he t tweeted something, I think today. I'm not much on Twitter anymore, but uh, where he he was like disappointed about, I, I would assume he meant that the, the McEnroe, there was an exhibition in pickleball with, with McEnroe. I think there was some other... Agassi, I think, because I was Agassi, getting texts yeah, about McEnroe, it. Steffi Groff was there as well uh, with a big, you know, announcer. Um, you know, Americans are great at producing stuff, so obviously it's well-produced. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think he right. was a bit uh, pissed off at this uh, this thing. Yeah, I was, I was... A number of people hit me up about it, and I was like, oh. Yeah, but how how was the the build up? Like, a, well, was this like a huge marketed event? Like, or I honestly was... didn't know about it until I was getting texts about it. All so, right. um, I can't really speak to that, but I'm sure they were trying. Was it on Tennis Channel? Like I said at the at the top, like I don't own a television, so like I actually don't. You know, a lot of people have like the TV on in the background. I never have the TV on. No, um, same here. So yeah. so yeah, so like I have people are like, did you watch X, Y, and Z on TV? I'm like, dude, I've told you before, I don't own a TV. Like, I have no idea what's happening in the world yeah which is healthy i think that is the most healthy way of just staying in your in your happy bubble Dude, no, you, but you, it, were, you were saying about like like i it's funny as like getting my start as a youtuber or like air you know youtube is social media like i don't have any social media i have i have we we have created like we have a facebook channel i never look at or or tiktok and stuff like i don't have tiktok um it might get banned in the u.s we'll see um and no, and I don't have any of that stuff. It's it's not on my phone. I don't. I took email off my phone actually. Um, oh wow. I check email, but I don't. I don't have it on my phone because I don't want like these. these it's the point where these devices are just controlling you. And I'm like, no, this is supposed to be a tool to like enhance my life, and I don't need to like be constantly reachable or have these things interrupting my day. So uh, not that I'm doing an amazing job of unplugging but i've just tried to not like especially social media is just horrible for your mental health i think yeah so and for kids I, especially i think yeah, grow up with kids. it you know yeah. yeah yeah so i'm just you know i like you know i'm at i can't imagine what it would be like you know like we we're talking about haters earlier but if you're like 13 you know and 
you're getting haters and you're looking at that stuff all as oh no yeah it makes you uh makes you upset like, i mean also you know you yeah. you always struggle with that thing that like where i was out with my friends they have two kids and they want like obviously access to phones at all times yeah. and maximum and they're like 12 you know 10 and 12 so it's a rough age because everybody else might, you know, the other friends might have phones, you know, and then yeah. it's just a lot of brain drain. Uh, so you, I try to just like, okay, you should start a YouTube channel. At least use your, if you use your phone, use it creatively. Don't use it to just consume because the consumption yeah. thing yeah. is the problem. Like this, the thumb scrolling and, and the complete yeah, the like scrolling. Yeah. It, Even my dad doom scrolls now. I sometimes. Am? Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll doom scroll like news and stuff. Like he doesn't have any social media, but that's good. Um, he, he has like his news app. So sometimes he's sitting there doom scrolling. Yeah. And I think the news app, uh, like my parents are a bit the same. They, they sit and read the news and scroll on the phone. And I, I find like having worked in news and especially with how news are, is today, I find it like to be really harmful to consume a lot of news because like it doesn't affect you on any personal level, most of it. Right. So it's just like this, yeah. you're filling your brain unless you're working in the news or you're commenting on the news, whatever, but it's. I, I really cut out a uh, lot of the consumption part, you know, I do well, watch just a lot like, of YouTube and, and Just the general, like you, so like all of these platforms are, are driven, as you know, are driven by algorithms. And so, um, and, and you know, if you would know the YouTube, I like, I, I know YouTube, but I don't probably know it like you, but like um, the watch time and the thumbnail click through rate are like the two most important uh, features, right? Like, like elements of, of a YouTube video. Um, cause, cause, because YouTube obviously wants you to stay on their platform as long as possible because then they get to show you more ads. And that's true for, uh, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, it doesn't matter, but, uh, the algorithms obviously optimize to keep you on the platform as long as possible. And I think content that makes you angry is like the most effective way to do that. Yeah, of course. So all the ang all algorithms, not because they were designed to do this, but they're designed again, to optimize for time on site end up making you mad and keeping you mad. Yeah. And so I'm like, uh, you know, I don't need Instagram on my phone or I'm just going to end up being pissed off, you know? No, yeah, I, I agree. I, I use it for, for tennis nerd. I don't use, I mean, I, I, I sometimes find myself uh, scrolling a little bit, but I, I've kind of managed to avoid that behavior recently. But once I even install this app called one sec, I think it was recommended by some YouTuber, which, which, you know, gives you some annoying prompts before it's like, Oh, do you really need to use Instagram right now? That's hilarious. No, it, it, it actually seems to work, you know, and, and it actually I'm did sure. work, but it gets annoying because if you start using it the way you used it before, then you're like, why is this, you know, prompt always coming up? It takes, yeah. and then, then it has like a, a countdown of like five, four, three, two, one, and then the app opens. So you don't have that instant gratification of just like, I want to see how people lives are. Yeah. That know, dopamine faked. hit, it delays it. That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. It's good. I think, I mean, they, they it's like 10 bucks or something, but I, I actually, I, it was worth every cent of that because I was like, really, uh, I was not so bad, but I think for like kids and stuff, this would be great. Like, do you sure. really need this? Why do you need it? You know, and one was like, I'm on the toilet, you know, was one one of the <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the one replay. time you should be able to look at social media. Yeah. No, it, it's uh it's it's true. And it's good for you that you don't have it. Like I I I don't I use like Instagram, I don't use any Facebook, but uh, you know, it's just to to plug stuff, which which everybody does, I guess. But if you can stay away, it's better. You know, you can get a dumb phone, right? Just text and, and call. Yeah. I say I don't use it, but but to your point, like you're talking about earlier, I I probably watch more YouTube videos than like TV or you know. 
so, you know, I'm on it, but, uh, I try and, I try and limit it as much as possible. And I kind of condensed it down to YouTube for the most part. Yeah. I'm the same. I, I like YouTube because I think, I mean, I, you know, we talk about algorithms, but I, I think the YouTube algorithm, I just got a, like another laptop, uh, that I rebooted. I had no, uh, user history or nothing on it. So I completely fresh. Yeah. And then you go on YouTube, you're like, they don't know what I like. What is this? Now I can just not yeah. click a video. <laughs> yeah. This is annoying. And I have to like start a whole new behavior here or search for stuff. Like, otherwise it's sure. just like eight videos curated for your, you know, waste 10 minutes. But luckily it's, you can really dial in quickly what you want to watch. And mm -hmm. it's usually maybe a 10 minute video. So it's not like you're watching 30, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. Yeah. Uh, you can go on a binge with everything, but it's, I think it's a pretty, pretty decent platform for that. And since I'm on it myself, I feel like a little bit hypocritical if I didn't use it. So it's of course, and I'm obviously on it too. So that would be, that would be not, not to the extent you are. Are you doing anything with shorts nowadays, by the way? That's like I did that. I do here and there, but since I do all my own editing and like, I, I used to run like teams and stuff for marketing and things mm -hmm. in, in bigger organizations. And now I've gone completely like uh, internet nomad, do everything myself. And now I'm I'm getting a little bit like I need help. <laughs> it's getting yeah, to you gotta, you gotta build the team. Yeah, because like I I know a lot of like like uh, is it, how do you pronounce is it Patrick Moratoglau? Am I pronouncing the last name properly? Moritoglau? Yeah, I, I you, you're asking. I mean, I find his name difficult, right? Because it's, it's like it's it's part Greek, I would guess, right? So well, as an American, you're just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah, we, yeah, we can. Course. We, I can barely speak English, so. Um, he looks you like speak well. You speak well. For, for an Indian you. guy, you speak good English, I would say. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Patrick Moratoglau is like, he reminds me of a Bond villain. He's like very handsome. And you could see him like opposite Daniel Craig or something like that. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's an interesting cat. I mean, he's done a good job like building a, an empire, I guess, around tennis with Serena and uh, yeah. uh, kind of also like helping him build the, the brand, I would say. He does all shorts now on like his YouTube channel, I think is mostly like he used to do longer form videos, but now it's all shorts. Yeah, maybe you can of... do that. Like, because I, I think his, his strength was this kind of um, fix your forehand, three simple steps. And that's what people want to see. They want to see like, or one step to, you know, yeah. fix your take back or, or whatever. And I think that's what he sees maybe uh, he has some kind of results, you know. He also has some content uh, websites around tennis. Uh, but yeah, he's an interesting, interesting dude. Uh, I just met him briefly once, but I have no, I have no other. But he looks, it looks a bit like a Bond villain, I would say. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I mean, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, I, I know, I know. He's, he's a good-looking guy, I mean right? So. I, uh, I look like uh, Q's nephew. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's not so generous, I would say. It. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, I'm the extra in the movie that gets cut. You know, I'm not in the final cut of the movie. Yeah, I know, I know that that feeling. Like it's, it's funny when you're, um, when you're in that space, you're like, hmm, where, where would I place in the movie? <laughs> you know, you don't. Like it, I'm a production assistant. I'm yeah, getting yeah, yeah. coffee for Daniel Craig. <laughs> That's good, but you, you get by with your conversational skills though, so it's no problem. Look, I'm telling you, poli sci, man. Yeah, poli yeah. Education. Yeah, yeah. I studied journalism, so it's a bit different, but uh, a little bit similar in some respects, I would say. Well, yeah, you know the you know the DC scene. So. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. That was. I mean, also as a foreigner, you need to uh, to kind of have any you know chance at beating the competition or whatever. You know, you want to at least be on e equal terms with your with other interns when you start interning at these media companies, right? Yeah. So I studied like a crazy person, you know, and then I met a lot of people who 
didn't know half of what I thought that you needed to know. <laughs> so it's a bit like, all right, it wasn't so bad, you know. But I read so many American uh, history books and stuff like that. So sure. I studied the precedents and stuff, which was very good for uh, like, uh, you know, conversational moments or parties when you go to like Congress stuff, you know, it was very good to know all this stuff. And you're not an American, so it's they also like that you actually took the time to put in some. Yeah, effort, yeah. Know? I would, I would think, I would think that would lead to an easy conversation if you were, you know, trying to chat somebody up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Abraham Lincoln. Here we go. <laughs> how many? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, how does your your timeline look um, with with like how long does it take for you to create a product? It's like a long uh, process. Man, we got one in the we got one we filmed with Gigi Fernandez back in November. It's still sitting in the tank. Um, like oh yeah, that. I think I saw. You do market that at some point or no? Gigi might have posted a yeah, uh, yeah I think so on yeah. Instagram. She might have sent a picture about it. And I'm like, I don't know where that thing is. You know, I don't have Insta, but I, I'd say just in terms of a general timeline, it probably takes us like three months ish, give or take. You know, some quicker, some shorter, or some <laughs> some longer, some shorter, because uh, all of our our content now has graphics that tend to be associated with it. Yeah. So we're pretty deliberate about, so there's like the, there's the work that goes into prior to shooting it. That's like Craig and I were on this call. I mentioned earlier today, we're doing the new rules of doubles. We're, we're working through the, um, the stats that we want to share. So there's that pre-work to make sure the content is, is lean and drives towards a specific result. So that's just one of the the things I learned about uh, 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 creating content over, you know, having done it for 15, 15, 16 years is, is we really do try and make it lean and, and very clear what the result is that somebody's going to get. And then we shoot it, we got to edit it. And then a lot of the times we support our, now we support our videos with graphics. I mean, they're almost like thumbnails for videos. Uh, you know, like a YouTube video, you know, has a thumbnail. The graphics we create are more like cheat sheets. Yep. So after you watch the video, the graphic will serve as a cheat sheet. So you don't have to watch the video again. It's like, oh, uh, like imagine taking notes in class, right? When you're in school, you, you wrote down what the professor was talking about. Then when you reviewed your notes, they jogged your memory about what the professor was saying. It's the same concept. Uh, so, you know, again, it's all about trying to save people time. Uh, Very good. So that's, yeah. that's really a focus of our content is how do we save people time? Yeah. I think giving value in the least possible time is, yeah. is, I mean, when you're competing about with, I mean, we talked about social media just now, right? This is a, the attention of people is short. So, yeah. and the time you people have to consume stuff is also relatively short. Uh, then there's always like an argument to say that, okay, some people, you know, because I I used to play chess, right? So I used to play chess on a pretty high level, and now there there was very little money in it unless you were top top sure, fifty, top Gary ten. Yeah, 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 Kasparov, Carlson now, and now they're streaming. So people are streaming themselves play chess, and people on my level or lower are making a, a lot of money just doing like YouTube videos with a chessboard. That's very my, easy. My production. buddy just bought a YouTube channel. That's a, a YouTube chess channel. Oh yeah, and literally that's all it was. It was just a chessboard, and people. Watch. I'm like, geez, man, this is just such a crazy economy. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and people watch it, and they go, they they just like watch every video. There's 20 minutes, and I think they like it's called like ASMR movement. You know, they they seem to like the the slow pace. It's relaxed. You're you're there's no rushing. There's not this kind of Mr. Beast five minutes of like capital letters. We're gonna run a tank into a into a like a water tower, and then we're gonna do this, and bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Everything is is for like short attention spans, right? Everything maximized. 
Well, so there's also get, a move, counter movement, right? Yeah. I always get that, you know, people, they've asked me this forever is like, well, why would anybody pay for your content uh, when there's so much free content on That's YouTube? That's a good question. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you are more than welcome to sift through all of the content on YouTube. Uh, and if you get great results, and there's obviously tons of great content on there, but there is so much, the amount of time and effort to like, go try this and, you know, test that out and see if it works. Um, we're just like, this is what our thing does. It's a very, very narrow result. Like the doubles playbook, the only thing it shows you how to do is set up easy put away volleys and overheads. Like doubles is a very, very obviously nuanced and complicated game. How do I return? You know, how do I hit my serve? How do I hit my volleys? Da, 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 da. And all we show you how to do is set up an easy put away volley or overhead. Yeah. Um, it's a very clear result. And for the folks who want to know how to do that, they're like, okay, cool. A, I want that result. And then B, we show you how to do it, how to get there really fast. Um, for any of there's 48 plays and like every one of them, you know, every video is three to five minutes. So you just figure out what the situation is that you want to, you know, get that easy put away volume overhead and we show you how to do it. Yeah, that's great. So that, you know. I think, but it's also, I think what you pay for, which I think is very important. I'm, I'm, I've reached this point in my life, you know, where I don't like freebies anymore. You know, I, I rather pay. I, I, it's not that I'm rich. I'm just like, I like to be like, okay, is this the best version of this? Is this to maximize my value from this product? Right. So yeah. if you buy a software that you like, you go for the premium, you go for the plus, and then you can obviously unsubscribe if you don't like it. But I think it's a little bit the same with content because if you get, you can subscribe to all the coaching channels in the universe, but everything is is then categorized very differently. There's no like one, two, three. You watch these steps. There's yeah. there's there's no organization of content, so you have no idea where to follow up, how to use this. You know, so I, yeah, I you think gotta, you got to create your own syllabus. Yeah, and I think it's tough. You also get so many different voices, right? So you have like, oh, I watched this guy. He said like to do this on the serve. And then this guy said to do this on the serve. And I think it's good to kind of pick at least one or a few voices that you resonate with you and then totally. not get really bogged down into this. Like, because you're going to be browsing YouTube like all day, every day, right? It's well, gonna I mean, that's, money. you know, one way to think about it is like one way or another, you're going to pay. You're either going to pay with money or you're going to pay with your time. Yeah. And, you know, it's obviously your decision which way you want to go with that. I think I think is um, one thing you learn more and more the older. I mean, we're born both. You're born 82, right? Or 81, 83. 81, December 30th. So I, yeah. I was, All right. 80. So we're like two, three months apart, two months. Um, right, so you were 82? 82 was 16 Feb. I'm your elder and I'm older and wiser is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a young, uh, young lamb here. So I'm trying, <laughs> trying to understand, but no, but I, I've get off my lawn, please. Yeah, exactly. As you get older, you value, you realize time is very finite. Like when you're, even when you're 30, you're like, no, no, but I have infinite time. Don't worry about it, man. Yeah. You know, I have so much time, maybe crossing 40, maybe crossing 35. I don't know where that, that depends on your life, but you start to realize my time is so valuable. Right. And you mm -hmm. like, I can pay this away. I can pay pay this say win this time if I pay this money and I can use this time to do something else maybe gain more money or gain some life uh, lessons or or just have a good time yeah. with friends. So I think this is like one of the big learnings you get where I I feel like I've really got closer to is that I can't just sit and because when you're younger you feel like oh but if I just go to Pirate Bay and I don't no endorsement for Pirate <laughs> Bay. Um, <laughs> 
But for example, you download like, oh, this software can just hack it or crack it or get it for free. Yeah, and of course. Every, we, we all did that. We all did. Yeah, that. of course. But but now it's like, that's. I think the statute happened. of limitations has expired. Where I can I can admit to that now. Yeah, exactly. I think so. <laughs> that was twenty uh, years ago. Your father is a lawyer. Yeah, come on. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I should ask him about that before yeah. I. Uh... Before you announce <laughs> anything, before this is edited. No, but I think yeah. people admit to this all the time. But it's, it's that that's not really, that's not worth the money of you you being able to just buy it from app store, whatever you want to buy. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's generally, I think it's a better idea um, yeah. Yeah. To, to do it. So I, I, that's what I've, I've learned. I've prioritized my time, value my time. That's the best thing I have. And that's the only thing you have very, very finite, you know, money you can always make more, you know, it's possible. Right. So you can, uh, you can walk downtown that's free or you can take an Uber, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, free is a free walk, but yeah, it might be sweaty for your date or whatever. So it's, it's, yeah, uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's a rough one, especially if in DC. So there's a high potential of being summer, sweaty. Man, it's, you know, it's rough. It's not, yeah. uh, and right I, I now, live in it's beautiful. It's like 70 and not humid. There's yeah, a little it's... bit of fall, and I, I took my first Claritin. I, I get allergies for like a week or two, and that's it. So I take Claritin for like two weeks and then I'm out. But today was the first day of Claritin. Just to sort of come, you know, combat the uh, all the pollen. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I. That's the only thing I have. Sometimes a spring allergy, like for a few days or a week, right? That's it. That's yeah, my only. Too. Yeah. Then I'm alright. But but yeah, DC is great. Like until it gets really hot and sticky, it, it's it's a great uh, climate there, pretty much. Well, I mean, the city open, you know, first week August, it's like the hottest possible week, and they decide to have a hardcore tennis tournament in a concrete bowl. Yeah. It's um, it's rough. How how do they go? But they still get a pretty good uh, showing there, right? They get a great turnout, but you just you got to work for it if you're a player and a fan. You yeah. know, you're yeah. I, and I've been through to tennis tournaments, even in like not the most. I mean, DC is very humid, right? But uh, like in the summer in Germany, you're watching. You know, if you, there's Federer playing, I saw Federer play Haas on grass one year yeah. at the, the Mercedes Cup packed stadium like everybody wants to watch fed yeah. and house is also a fun player to watch like beautiful one sure, he's great yeah he's amazing yeah so turnout was 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 huge but it was so hot it was like you know celsius 37 that that's 100 i don't know something like that yeah um okay. and it, it's like so, yeah my 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 like fahrenheit knowledge has gone down a bit since i used to live there <laughs> it, it, it sounds hot it sounds yeah hot. It's, it's very very hot it was very hot and I, so I I only watched like a set because I was like dying. You know, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to, you know, because I was it's straight in the AC, sun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a sad because like how often do you watch Federer live, right? That not doesn't happen so often, right? So, yeah. But but this can be gruesome for the fans that you watch some of these tournaments. Well, I mean, DC gets a good turnout. So it's worth like like a good, like good player. I mean, they had Rafa a couple of years ago, which was kind of amazing. Uh, yeah, so you have, I remember that now. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that was. When I was tra- he 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 didn't play Wimbledon because he was hurt and he had that foot issue and yeah, yeah. and it flared up here and he I, he I think he stuck it out. He didn't deef, but he stuck it out. Got beat by Lloyd Harris, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, dangerous player. Yeah. yeah, that guy's good. Um, and then was like done for the rest of the year, I think, and then came back and won the French or something like that. Yeah, Rafa is is. is uh... Often injured, but fantastic to watch when he's when he's on his. Do you game. think he wins the French this year? What's your take on that? Do you think he's going to win the French? Do you think he's going to play the French? I think that is the question that is more. I I mean, I, Djokovic seems to be really super hungry. Uh, my friend actually is sure. in the Djokovic coaching camp, 
Uh, so he's, you know, he's like, yeah, he's really hungry. He's gonna go for it. Blah blah blah. Yeah, obviously it's Djokovic. Yeah, sure. He always does that. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm a Roger fan. I'm also a Rafa fan because that's the time when I got back into tennis, and it's like, yeah. uh, it was was the time for tennis. Just I felt like the game was played in the best possible time era. You know, uh, yeah. beautiful contrast of styles, etc. And I I would love to see Rafa again, but it's yeah these injuries, not playing Monte Carlo, but he usually comes in. You know, he's gonna be a danger at at the French Open. That's my feeling. You know. But if he's gonna win it, I, I'm a bit doubtful. But I, I've said that before, and it's been like, oh, this is 14th Grand Slam title for us. Yeah, no, well, I was just like, who, who, you know, unless he's unable to train and has gotten out of shape, which seems unlikely. I mean, who's gonna be? Obviously, Djokovic could get him, but who else would you put in there? That's like, no, it's like Alcaraz, Alcaraz, obviously, maybe. huh? Alcaraz, maybe, yeah. Alcaraz, Sinner, maybe. Sinner, maybe, yeah, yeah. Sinner is a good bet. Not even Sitsipas was great at uh, the rolling. Like he's he's great at these slower hard, uh, slower clay yeah. courts. Dominic Team is not really in the mix anymore. So I, I think man, it's he very seems few players. like he's kind of he's kind of lost it. I think he's I don't know what his deal is. It's I I feel like I read somewhere that he had he had said he had kind of mentally checked out after he won the U.S. Open. He just sort of lost the fire. Yeah, I think that's that's what happened a bit, and then he had this wrist injury. Yeah. And now he doesn't seem to be able to hit the ball with the same confidence. And then to regain that, yeah, it's going to be an uphill struggle. But, yeah, but yeah, I, I wish him the best. But yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I think I would probably bet my money on Djokovic winning, but Rafa would be at number two. Uh, I don't see Alcaraz winning, but this could also be possible. But outside those three, I have no one. Like, I don't. You don't see Alcaraz winning. Why? Just because he just needs a little bit more time, or you think? I think he needs a little bit more time, five sets. Uh, French Open since he was slightly injured now, but uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, he, I think really the, the three guys that can win is, is Alcaraz, Djokovic, and uh, and Nadal. Those are the three guys. Sinner, maybe, is a good because he's playing really much better tennis lately. But you're not putting uh, your money on Medvedev on clay. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think he he would uh, give me my money back if I put any money would on you, it. Is what over under he makes it out of the first round. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, he I'm does a hundred percent. I, I, hundred percent, yeah. But he, he hates clay. He says, but I, I think he's getting a little bit better at it. But, but it's yeah, he's, he hates it. You see it how yeah, he you moves. Think he'd be good, you know. His game should be okay, but he he yeah. can't slides, and he's um obviously the heavy topspin is not his game. He plays yeah. with like flat timing, so yeah. it's very different. I think the grass he should be able to translate well onto i would say it suits suit him really well because he's like you know very good at taking these balls early on the rise and stuff but yeah yeah what do i know sometimes you get he surprised has, he's like he's won 18 tournaments and like or he's won 19 tournaments like 18 of them have been hardcore tournaments yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like no that. it's uh he's a hardcore guy yeah and then i guess that i mean u.s tennis getting to that like that's uh it's heavily hardcore focused right that's the you don't I have like a we, have of... we have like houston but that just happened i think and yeah. it's like in terms of the summer i don't think there's a single clay court tournament no and do you play oh. anything on clay on clay court even if it's like green clay or hard through no we don't yeah it might have been like i said houston is a clay court tournament uh but over the summer it's all hardcore i mean we have we have on the wti side right now down in charleston there's the yep. uh credit one which is a great tournament by the way if you've never been it's it's uh, charleston's a beautiful city but the tournament is really well done oh yeah i that would be cool yeah it's, yeah, a, it's a good one it's a really yeah. good one you can like take a boat up to the uh stadium you know like the 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 site so it's like a cool it's a super cool vibe 
So what's your um, tennis schedule for the summer? Are you going to City Open? Do you have any other tournaments you're going to? Do you often go to the tournaments to watch any tennis? or? What's I've your... actually gone to entire tournaments over multiple days and never actually seen any tennis. Oh, wow. Uh, that was pretty impressive, yeah. That um, is very impressive. That, yeah, that's that's not typical, but um, I have just because you're like doing meetings and and talking to folks, but um, not, it's not, that's not an intentional move. Uh, I, I'm going to be obviously at the city and then uh, US Open, I'll pop up for a couple of days. Yeah, that would be great to visit one day. I haven't been there. It'll be cool. You've never been to the US Open? Nope. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't really know why. I don't have any good answers. It just never happened. It's very, well, if you've been to New York, it's like a very New York tournament. Um, yeah. yeah, I've been to New York, but never in the US Open, never there during that time yeah so yeah it's definitely it's definitely fun uh but it's like it's just a very new york experience like very crowded and yeah you know, a bit rowdy but more like uh, american sports vibe to it which could be good for tennis in a way did you say rowdy yeah i don't know i mean i, mean, I guess the night match can get a little rowdy ish if it goes super late and people get hammered but i, I almost feel like the aussie I've, so i've been to all four majors i almost feel like the aussie was the biggest party yeah 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 that that's the worst i think that they uh, yeah superseded the worst i think you mean somewhere. best yeah, but I mean, like the worst in rowdiness. I yeah. think for tennis, this is also an interesting uh, topic, uh, which I think we can end on kind of. But it's it's like, does tennis need more action? Like Tiafo went out the other day, and we both are huge fans of, of Francis. Um, and also, I like the way he interacts with the audience. He always smiles. He has this positive energy, and it's kind of kind yeah. of contagious, you know. While a lot of players are just in their own head and did you scream at their their you know, uh, coach or whatever. Yeah. Oh, you're, I can you're, see you're a curious fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, for example, that, that he brings that good vibes, you know, only, only pretty much good vibes, which is, which is impressive. Uh, but he, he thrives of the audience. Should we have more audience engagement and should there be like, should we try to get away from this like silence and, and, you know, you can walk into the stadium whenever and stuff like that. Uh, as a purely entertainment product, you know, if you want to go put, put, put the, uh, uh, the business hat back on. Yeah. You probably use a little bit more audience interaction. I would think, I mean, Francis is so charismatic. Um, I, you know, people tune in just cause they want to see, like you said, his energy, you know, yeah. um, um, and he does a great job of interacting with the fans. So I would love to see more of it for sure. Uh, I get, uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like, like New York, if they tilt it a little bit, I don't even know how you do more crowd engagement, but you could maybe tilt, lean into it more in New York, but then at Wimbledon, just, I mean, Wimbledon's wonderful because it's so traditional and yep. um, you got that vibe. So I, I think the good thing about tennis is you can, it, it's got a little bit more flexibility maybe than some other sports might have. So certainly, certainly I think that would, that would work for, for the U S market and doing more, Trying to maybe take some chances with what the product actually is, the entertainment product, because tennis is um, it's it's up a little bit in COVID just because it's socially distant sport, but its popularity has been flat for a long time. So um, I think anything to to get more eyeballs is a good thing, generally like, speaking. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's great that we have these four different surfaces. Yeah, um, not three to four, but three, I would say. But but at least your outdoor and indoor hard courts, I guess. But so you can have a, a wide variety of different atmospheres. Let Wimbledon be a bit dry, a bit classy, a bit, you know, traditionally white clothing, whatever. That's just because it is that. Like if you if you remove that, then you remove the brand. So yeah, the brand is gone. The yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. That, that, that's, that's stupid, I think. So keep them 
the way they are, but maybe strengthen their aspects, you know, so that you can market them a bit stronger uh, in a sense. But I, I think, yeah. I think I don't think tennis struggles with the Grand Slams. I think tennis struggles with the stuff outside the Grand Slams. That's really where with tennis sometimes yeah, have because sure. that's like for the sure. World Cup. Everybody likes a Grand Slam, watches yeah. on TV, even if they're not big fans. But then when it gets outside, that, yeah, that's the only time I watch soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. I, I don't like. For a European, I don't watch a lot of soccer actually. Football, I, I excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. All the yeah. soccer is okay. Time. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I don't watch a lot of um, a lot of that either. But I have friends, ex-pro tennis players, you know, and stuff like this. They watch, they watch and play more football than they play tennis these days. You know, because it's like such a in, in Europe, that's the religion you you follow, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm aware thing. of it. I'm not part of it, but I'm aware of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what sport do you watch? It's decently big here, actually. Uh, soccer. You're, you're asking what other sports do I watch? Yeah. yeah. Um, I want, I went to Davidson college, which is outside Charlotte, North Carolina. So Steph Curry went there. Oh yeah. So, and I had watched the NBA prior to that, but, um, I like watching the Warriors just cause uh, of Steph, uh, and obviously American football, speaking of religions, uh, I'll watch that, but way less than I used to. I mean, I used to watch, uh, the Washington commanders all the time and, uh, I mean, you were here when Dan Snyder was the owner. Yeah. Um, Cause you were in the earth. Yeah. I mean, he's just a terrible owner and hopefully is going to sell the team, but it's just hard to, I, I just tuned out basically. I was like, I'm not going to waste my time on this. You know, like going to FedEx field is terrible. Uh, it's a horrible stadium and the team and mostly the owner is so unlikable. You're like, why am I going to invest my time in this? I get you. Uh, I get that. I've yeah. I heard that from more people than you. <laughs> one no, person, I mean, so. yeah, it's a pretty common theme among Washingtonians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember I, I was there when uh, Michael Jordan was in the Wizards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the MJ era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool, actually. That was pretty cool. But uh, that was cool, even though it wasn't like. I mean, it was MJ, but it wasn't MJ. Yeah, it know? wasn't really MJ. Yeah, it was a little bit of a false advertising, to be fair. But but it, it was still MJ. So you, you take it for what it is. You get or, glimpses. Yeah, even in glimpses, right? All right, Will. I can talk to you for more hours, I, I think, but I have a, a dinner. You gotta go plan. fuel up. Yeah, you gotta get a good. You gotta go to dinner. Yeah, yeah. So I have a you know excuse to play tennis tomorrow. I need to lose some weight. <laughs> um, but it was really nice talking to you, and uh, I wish you all the best of success with uh, all your new products. The the doubles playbook coming up. We have the new rules of tennis that I've been talking about on my YouTube channel, and it's a product I really really like, and I, I think I learned a lot from. I actually, implemented that in my training match the other day. So. Uh, very easy implementation. You just write it one bullet point down and you have something, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's good. Yeah. So I, I have a great day in uh, DC and we'll uh, hopefully catch up in, in person soon. Yeah, man. Yes. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, thanks everybody for, uh, for listening.